Love you guys. You're awesome. Kids are special. We've been doing this uh, series called Year After Year, which has been a powerful series. What we've talked about is how consistency over time multiplied by God equals great success, right? And we know that equation, yet it's extremely difficult for us to grab a hold of that at times. And so year after year is the idea that we're going to do things year after year because we see that uh, in the scripture and instructions to really build the life that God has for us. And there are very few overnight successes. Usually it's this effort over this a massive amount of time that turns them into something special. There's a number out there that says 10,000 hours. If you want to be an expert, you have to do something for 10,000 hours. That is nine years, hour a day for nine years. You know, and so kids talk about that with guitar. We were just talking about that this week. There was a group of teenagers who want to learn how to play guitar, and it's like nine years, an hour a day. But good news, you can cut that in half if you'll do two hours a day for four and a half years. And of course, their faces are like, four and a half years is an eternity, and the rest of us, the older we get, the more we're like, I mean, four and a half years is just going to be gone like that, and we know that, right? Isn't that true? It just feels like it's nothing, four and a half years. But we know that, and it's difficult for us to put in play, because even though we know four and a half years is going to fly by, still being consistent and putting forth this heavy effort over time is very difficult. So as you see up here, if you haven't been here um, the last few weeks, we have 168 golf balls, and that stands for the 168 hours we get to spend during a week. And as we spend those 168 hours, we talked about the very first week, how the average American spends their time. And so there were things that, you know, we spend a lot of time doing of those 168 hours and things we spend a little bit of time doing. But one of the blessings that God has given us as people is the ability to think and rethink and rethink again, prioritize and reprioritize. And so we could have things out of whack for a while, but once we assess, once we can you know, look at and, and, and track our numbers and how we're doing things, we can adjust, can't we, church? We can adjust. God gave us that ability, which is a blessing. And so we asked you the first week to track your time, how you spent your time, and then when you're done with that, look at that time and say, man, I spent too much here. I didn't spend enough here. And readjust it, reprioritize to basically what God has for you so that at the end of your life, year after year, when you reassess, you did things effort over time, multiplied by God, and hopefully you kind of have your life spent the way you believe it would be God-honoring. And that's our hope. That's our hope for all of us. I want to get to the end of my life, and I want my life to be God-honored. That's what I want. And so I'm hoping that's the same for you. So today, uh, we talk, we're going to talk about biblical finance. And that's, that's a tough one. I knew as soon as I said that word, and as soon as I was going to bring that out, about 40% of this room went, ugh, because nobody likes talking about this, including myself. It's just very, very difficult at times to address this. But here's the reality. Finances, as you guys know, is a heavy weight on so many people's shoulders. And we want to talk about this so that we can really get to the place that God wants us year after year. So don't, don't tune me out yet. Okay, we've got a lot that we're going to talk about. It's probably not exactly what you think we're going to talk about, but we're going to address a principle that we find throughout Scripture that I think is a foundational point for us when it comes to our biblical finances. We'll talk about some practical at the end, but there's a big principle in here that really addresses this. Let's pray. Father, we are excited about what you're doing in our hearts and lives. Lord, I ask that you'll continue to lead and guide us as we dive into your Scripture we want to see, recognize, and apply your truth today. 
We want it to change our lives. We want to be consistent. We want to put forth effort over time, Lord. And we know that if we put your principles into place, you'll take it and you'll multiply it 10 and even 100 fold. And we praise you for that. So lead us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I've subtitled this message, Lessons from James. So open your Bibles to Proverbs. <laughs> Not the book of James. It was a joke. Anyways, it was okay to laugh right there. Uh, Proverbs 30 is where we're going to start. And the reason I entitled this message Lessons from James is it's not James, uh, the book of the Bible. It's not James, the, the son of Zebedee, or James, the son of Alphaeus, two disciples. It's James, the son of Andy Tracy, who's 10 years old and in children's church right now. That's, that's what we're going to talk about today. Lessons from James. Peyton, who's in softball right now, and that's why I've got uh, shorts on. We're heading to a softball tournament right after uh, church. Uh, I've preached in shorts twice in my life. Uh, mostly because I'm scared of my mom, and so I, I preach in long pants. But I'm preaching in shorts today because we're flying. It's 90 degrees. We're going to head up there as soon as it's over. I uh, watched my daughter play softball, but the other day her softball glove tore. And so I got to go and buy her a new softball glove because I tried to fix it, and I couldn't fix it. So I run to the store, and as most of you guys know, this is the time at the end of the season when you buy softball gloves because they just on sale right? They're trying to clearance things out, and so you can find really good prices on gloves, and so I bought Peyton a good glove, and we've been working it, and I told Ruth, I'm like, man, this was such a good deal. I should go back and get Karina and James softball gloves, who's, Karina is my middle daughter, and, and James is our youngest son, and both of them play ball. James plays baseball. I said, we'll go get them a ball glove uh, for next year, too. James overheard this conversation, and he said, Dad, I don't, I don't need a new glove. I like my old one. Okay, now, I've, I've dealt with 10-year-olds a lot. James is my youngest. And I have never, ever offered one of my kids something new, and they said, no thanks, I'll keep the old one. Ever. Ever. So then I proceeded to argue with my 10-year-old and give him reasons why he needed a new glove. And he was like, I don't need a new glove. I like my glove. It's soft, it's broken in. Now, his glove is a hand-me-down glove from, you know, a garage sale, from a foster kid, from all of those things. It doesn't even have his name on it. It has somebody else's name on it. But he's like, I love my glove. It's soft. It's tender. It's easy to use. I've got it just where I want it. And so we have this argument where I'm arguing on spending my kid money, which never happens. <laughs> and he's arguing on not spending my money on him. And it felt like we were in the twilight zone, and I thought the rapture was going to take place. I thought, <laughs> life is over at this point. But James, James understood this, and I love this idea that he appreciated what he had. <laughs> and that's our goal with our kids, isn't it? To get them to appreciate what they have. And, and we often look at, at the generations coming up with us, and we say this all the time. You just need to be happy with what you have. And my question to you would be this. Are you happy with what you have? And that's the principle that we're really going to hit today is this idea that we find riddled in Scripture about contentment. Because there's a reality here, and, and we bought into a little bit of a lie where we believe contentment is the fulfillment of what we want or our desires when really it's the realization of what we have. And if we could understand and be thankful and rejoice in what we have, that could be huge. I had an opportunity this week to uh, watch a documentary about a guy named Jack Whitaker. 
And it wasn't really a documentary. It was a 2020 uh, news show, and there was a clip that I ac accidentally caught uh, and got to see, and I thought it was really, really neat. But if you don't know who Jack Whitaker is, because I didn't, he won the lottery, and he won $315 million. Actually, that's an exaggeration. He won $314.9 million, so don't want to exaggerate. And, and, and you would think, just like he did, that that would be the best day ever, which you would think that, right? How many people in here would like $314.9 million? Why is not everyone's hand raised? What's wrong with you people? Anyways, uh, so $314.9 million. A few years later, um, his kids kind of got into drugs. One of his granddaughters died of a drug overdose. Her boyfriend died of a drug overdose. His wife divorced him. All of those things happened, and he made two statements in this, in this um, uh, show that just absolutely pierced my heart. The first one was this, I've lost everything of value. The guy that was interviewing him said, but you have money. And he goes, that doesn't matter. But he, he got this, right? I've lost everything of value. We, we place our ideas in these wants and these desires, not understanding or realizing so often how valuable the things are that we have. And if we can grab a hold of that, I think we can really find contentment. And the second thing that he said that just was a shocker at the very end of the show, he said, I wish I would have torn that ticket up and thrown it away. That's what he said. $314.9 million does not get you the things that are truly valuable. And when I look at this and, and, and these two different stories, Lessons from James, a 10-year-old son who learned to be content and excited about what he has and a guy who got $314.9 million and lost everything of value. We have to understand, reprioritize, prioritize, think and rethink about our finances and about God wants what God wants from us. Contentment is huge. And so we're going to start here in Proverbs 30 because I love this section of Scripture. There's, there's two things here, Proverbs 30, Verse 7, <clears throat> he says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Stay right there for a second. Two things. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Okay, if you had two things to ask of the Lord, what would they be? I mean, I think if we were able to, you know, throw a thing down, uh, write everybody write, you know, five or six things, we would come up with a whole bunch of things that together we would kind of be joined on. The thing that's interesting to me is if this conversation is private with just you and God, is it different than if it's public and you and God? <laughs> Uh-oh. Anyways, so when we talk about this, two things. What are two things you would ask for? Because when I read this guy's requests, I'm like, I wouldn't ask for those. I wouldn't ask for that at all. But he asked for two things. The first thing he asked for, which we can read in verse 8. Both of them are in verse 8, actually. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. I think we would hear that in our culture today, right? We love and value authenticity. We, we don't like the, the facades. We don't like fakeness. We, we like authenticity. We want real. We want what, what's real. Don't give me a story. Don't give me a lie. Just tell me what's real. Don't try and back up around it. Just give me what's real. But then the second thing just blows my mind. Give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. That would not be on my list. <laughs> if I had requests of God, that would not be on my list. But he goes on in verse 9 and kind of 
explains this. There is such wisdom in this guy knowing that poverty and riches can both lead you down bad paths. They can. They really can. Malcolm Gladwell, who is an author, wrote a book called David and Goliath. And in that book, he actually addresses that with our kids today. He talks about how kids growing up rich and growing up poor both have massive struggles when they become adults. He actually got it to almost a perfect number for his area, which he lives in New York, in New York City, that if they make about $80,000, I think it was $79,000 in New York, which he said would be, of course, less in other parts of the world, but in that area, that is about the perfect number because kids both get to experience security, which is what they need, but they also don't get everything they want, which is also what they need. They have to have this, you know, I, I, I don't get everything I want, but I also don't want kids to experience this loss where, where they don't know where food is going to come from. And so he says that that balance right there raises the best kids. And he had all these stats, which was really neat, this big section on the, on the book about that. And so when we talk about that, it's the same principle that, that they knew thousands of years ago. He's talking about today in his writings. Don't give me riches. Don't give me poverty. Just give me my daily bread. Verse 9, please. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. There is a, a safety zone. So he understands that. I don't need too much and I don't need too little. I just need enough. And my question for you, church, is this. Do you have enough? Because I think living in our country, we have enough. We have enough. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that it is very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has a, a, a talk or a confrontation a little bit with a rich young ruler who says, I want to follow you. And he says, okay, go sell everything and follow me. And the guy walks away with his head down. Because we get in this place where I believe most of us, even though we wouldn't feel it, are rich and we have lost our perspective. There's a website out there called globalrichlist.com. I challenge you to get on there and to type in your income and see where you fit in the world's incomes. Because even the poverty level in America is in the top 5% of the world. Top 5% of the world. And that's what we consider poverty. Now, I'm not saying that to be convicting. I'm saying that so that we realize this, that most of us make more money than we have ever made. Most of us are in better positions than we have ever been. Not all of us, but most of us. And yet we still continue to feel the weight of this financial burden on our shoulders. And I think it's because we have grabbed a hold of this idea once again that contentment's gonna come when I get the next thing, when really it's not. It's gonna come from the realization of how, re, of how blessed we already are. And if we can grab a hold of that, I think it can change not just our perspective, but our lives when it comes to biblical finance. I wanna flip to Philippians, and we're gonna be in here the rest of the day. We're gonna read Philippians starting in chapter 4. Actually, we're going to stay in chapter 4. And, and it's a valuable section of Scripture. If you read Philippians, Paul talks a lot about the mind. I think 16 times he mentions the way you think or your mind in some way, shape, or form throughout Philippians because he understands that the way we think determines so much about our lives. And he's trying to get that across to these people. And he mentions it here a little bit as well. But we've got to remember 
about thinking and rethinking and adjusting our thoughts will radically change, change so much about us. But he starts off, and I want to start off in verse 4, and then we're going to skip down to verse 10. But he starts off in verse 4 with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I think that's where we all should start. Last week we talked about giving thanks a little bit because we can lose perspective. We can, it can be easy in our culture to open up Facebook or the news or anything along those lines and see the negative things that we have in our country and in the world. And we can lose perspective on how great our God is and how blessed we are. But the minute we start rejoicing, the minute we start giving thanks, it can bring all that perspective back. And I think we need to live a life of gratitude, of thanksgiving, and of rejoicing. So before we get into the rest of this, I think this is a big key. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He didn't say it once. He said it twice. And he also used this massive word always, where it wasn't like, yeah, rejoice now and later complain. No, it's rejoice always. Again, I say it. Rejoice. Rejoice. And I think that's an important thing that we need to learn. Then he goes on in verse 10, and he says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's another translation. I love this section of scripture, but I want to start with this word, I have learned. He says it twice. I have learned, I have learned. How many people know contentment is not very natural? It's just not, right? Contentment is not natural. Walk into a preschool class, and you will see that contentment is not natural. I raised five toddlers, and I know that they learn words very early, and one of those words is mine. 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 And I also know one of the words that I have said probably 700 times and still say to this day to my teenagers is, would you please share? Share. Just share. It's not that hard. You don't need a whole pizza to yourself. Share the pizza. Now, I say that with a little bit of conviction because my grandmother made me a hickory nut pie this week and I did not share very well. I didn't. So as I'm saying that, feeling a little guilty because that was my hickory nut pie. Don't you touch my hickory nut pie. No, I, that's not true. I only had three pieces and then the rest of the six got to share the other five. So... It was fine. It was fine. No. Seriously, though, we say that because it's not natural, right? We say, share, and kids learn, mine, and they want to absorb and take in, and, and that's natural. But Paul says here, I have learned. What does that mean? That means that we have to learn, right? Which means there needs to be training and teaching in this. I have learned to be content. Twice he says that, I have learned to be content. So it's something that you can be taught. It's not going to be easy, though. It's going to be difficult because there are certain principles that we know. One of the things is this, that as we grow up with these desires, with these appetites, we know this, 
that it doesn't go away, it's almost 100% just satisfied temporarily. Isn't that true? That's the way an appetite is. That's the way a desire is. That when we're talking about food, when we're talking about eating it, we get to the place sometimes, and I've been there, where we eat so much food, we say to ourselves, gosh, I hope I never have to see food again. And the next morning I get up and eat. It's true, because you're going to be hungry again. Isn't that right? Because that's how appetites work. They're never satisfied. They're just temporarily put off to the side. It's the same when we're talking about finances, when we're talking about contentment out there. It's the same. We feel like we will get, we will get these answers. We will be content when we get what we want. And that might happen for a day or two. But then after that, it sets in again, doesn't it? Because there's a desire that's inside of us that we have to train, that we have to teach, that has to be learned, that has to be put off and, and taught how it's appropriate to act. And so that's one of the things we know when it comes to appetites. Another thing we know is that the more you feed it, the bigger it gets. And that means we're in trouble. The more you feed it, the bigger it gets. That's how appetites work, isn't it? There, there, was, there was a day in all of our lives where a little jar of food was enough to, to, to keep us full. There was a day. Now I can eat 17 hot dogs. No, that's not true. I'm exaggerating, church. Jeez. You're like, whoa, jeepers, creepers, double lard. No. Seriously, though. But we can train ourselves, can't we? And most of us have done this sometime or another when we've done diets. Where, yes, we can eat three or four of something now, but there was a time when we ate one and it filled us up. And maybe you're at that time now. I don't know. But the more you feed it, the bigger it gets. And the bigger it gets, the more it takes to satisfy it. Isn't that true? That's how appetites work. So if you want to be content, church, we got to stop feeding this desire inside of us, this want that is temporarily satisfying us. We have to teach it. We have to train it. We have to develop it into something that's appropriate. We know that to be true when it comes to appetites. Another thing we know to be true is that it develops specific tastes. Isn't that true? It develops specific tastes. We talk about that with food, where if you take food, uh, most of us would ask, are you a sweets person or are you a salty person? And we know exactly what that means, right? Some of us like chips, some of us like cake. I prefer both. So we can, we can talk about that. But I had a, a young girl spend the night at our home uh, last night. She's in, on Peyton's softball team, and her parents were out of town, so she needed a ride. So she uh, spent the night with us and my first question to her was this, because I ask almost every kid that spends the night at our home this, are you a picky eater? And she stood there and goes, um, and I was like, answer given. I know that if you can't say no right off the bat, I know what's going on there. She is a, a picky eater, but I asked her that question, and so then that determines kind of what I'm going to make that night uh, for food, because Ruth was gone too. So I decide that I'm just going to go out, we're going to light a fire, we're going to have a little bonfire, and we're going to make some brats. So I, I put them on the, on the grill that's over the fire, and I'm cooking them, and she comes out, and she looks at those and goes, I'm allergic to those. <laughs> I said, oh, no. I said, I better call your mom to make sure we've got the proper precautions in place for this allergy of yours. I was being very sarcastic because I know how little kids work. And she goes, okay, I'm not allergic. I just don't like them. <laughs> and I was like, I knew that to be the case. So I said, okay, let's run in and get some hot dogs. But here's, here's the reality, church. 
We know this, that appetites as you feed them, they grow and they have particular tastes. You take those same bratwurst, because I've been there, to a third world country, they don't ask questions. You take it to Haiti, they don't care if it's sweet, they don't care if it's salty, they eat the brat because they're hungry, because they haven't experienced the prosperity that we have. But that's how appetites work. The more you have, the more particular you become about what you do with it. And it's crazy, too, at times. My, my sister says this, who's sitting back there. She says, everybody has the thing that they spend money on. And it's true, isn't it? Because we can. We spend money certain ways. We do certain things with our finances because we feel like we can. We have developed certain tastes. Another thing that we know is that starving your appetite is bad. Training your appetite is good. We know that if we develop certain tastes, we can also train ourselves to like certain foods, like carrots. Never liked carrots as a kid, but we as our home, we eat certain things. Carrots is one of them. And to be an example to my children, I eat carrots. Now, I don't like carrots, but I've learned to not hate carrots. And we can train ourselves, can't we, to, to like and eat the good foods. Well, you know what? With the appetite when it comes to your finances, you can train yourself to like and do what's appropriate there as well and to enjoy it. But what we have to do is we have to get away and understand and train our appetite to do what we need to do. So he says, I have learned. And then he goes on to say, I have learned to do this because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My next question to you would be this. Who gives you strength? What gives you strength? You see, he's able to be content with life because of who he knows, not because of what he has. And I think we've, we have, as a culture, filled that blank right there with a whole bunch of nonsense. We have thought, I can do all this, I can be content through money that gives me strength, but it has let us down. We can do all this through relationships that give me strength, but they have let us down. We can do all this through education, that all we need is to be smarter and educated, and it will give me strength, but it has let us down. And the dumbest one is I can do all this through politics, which gives me strength. How dumb are you to trust the government? No, anyways, we know this, right? Politics, drugs, alcohol, all of those things we think are going to fill us and make us, help us to, to experience the long effects of contentment. And every one of those has let us down. Every one of them. But there is Christ, who when he gives us strength, is real strength. And Paul discovered contentment, real contentment, based on the knowledge of Jesus, not the experience of money, drugs, riches, education, alcohol, and relationships. Relationship with Jesus, not relationships with others. And so if you want to really train that appetite, you have to go to the source of strength, which that source is Jesus Christ himself. I want to read on a little bit here as we start coming to a close. It says, it was good. 14. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippines know, Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, 
When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. This is going to be like mind shifting for us. We always think to fill our account, we need more, 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 more. Principle he says is, you gave, your account is being filled. Giving is the key. Let's read on and we'll come back to that a little bit. So that, that your account may be filled, credited. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I've heard it said many times that a promise comes with a premise. And that's how it works. A promise, for every promise in the scripture, there is a premise in the scripture. And we see this promise right here. My God will meet your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What did they do to get that? They gave. They gave. The, pro- the premise is this. You give, God takes care of you. You give, God takes care of you. And that's what these guys did as well. And so we can see these principles and these truths in scripture. And so we have to train, we have to really work through this to get ourselves away from this desire, this idea that that our contentment is going to come through the fulfillment of the next thing we get and understand that it's going to be where we're thankful for what we already have. And when we struggle with that appetite rearing its ugly head, we find our strength in Christ, who is the only true stable thing that we can set our foundation on. He is the rock, not the sand, the rock. Because the sand, when the storm comes, the house falls. But on the rock, when the storm comes, it stands strong. And so I wanted to give us a couple of quick ideas that we can see in this, okay? One is this, and and I wrote this down at the very, very top here, that our money needs to be controlled by us and not control us. We know that, right? And that's the biggest thing. When, when we struggle with appetites, is this the appetite controlling you or are you controlling the appetite? Teaching, training, and learning. That's how we do that. How do we do this? Well, one, it's a good idea to have a budget that you determine ahead of time, ahead of time, how you're going to spend the money, that you're going to be a steward of what God has given you. And that is scriptural. The, the Bible is just riddled with that, that you are a steward and you're going to be a steward. You set it up ahead of time. And one of the first two things that need to be in that budget is, one, I am going to give. Why? Because for every promise, there is a premise. And I give, and the Bible tells us it will be given unto me, good measure, precious, shaking together, and running over. What does that mean? The more I hoard, the more I struggle. But the more I share, the more God takes care of my needs. Give me just enough. That's what I ask for, Lord. Enough. Give and save. That we are, we are savers, that we're not just going to throw and spend every single dollar, but we are going to make sure that we are prepared for the, those rough times. It says in the scripture, what man builds a house and doesn't count the costs? Make sure that you have a plan and are prepared ahead of time. And the last one I have here, which is what we started with, rejoice. Learn to rejoice. Learn to find things to have joy about and to enjoy life 
and what God has for you. Of course, you know we give you a little application every week. Uh, in your bulletins, there is a monthly cash, cash flow plan to help you get started if you've never done a budget before. Also, there's a, an app that my wife and I use. She uses it, and now it just slips my mind, but it's the money management app from Dave Ramsey, and, and, it, and it's just on your phone. Um, there it is right there. Every dollar, that's what it's called, every dollar budgeting app. If you need help with those things, of course, uh, Sharon and Chad do um, uh, financial peace classes here at the church, and they can go into detail more than I can here on a Sunday morning. But I want to hit the foundation of what we have here. And I think that as a culture, we have to learn contentment and we have to learn strength in Jesus. And that's where we build our finances. Father, we're excited about what you're doing in our hearts and lives. And Lord, I ask that you would just help us to understand, recognize this truth, and that we would walk in it every single day. Lord, we want to learn to be content in every situation, and we want to do it through Jesus who gives us strength. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes people get nervous when you talk about money, but really it's not that big of a deal. You know, uh, Pastor Andy and I, we have our one-on-one, and a couple weeks ago it was, I want to say two, three weeks ago, we're talking about some things, and he tells me the story of a guy who had this huge pile of trash in his backyard. It was taller than him. And he would look at that trash and like, oh my goodness, that is such a huge job. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to get through that and take that away. Then he had a revelation. He said, you know what? Every time I go out, and walk by that pile, I'm just gonna grab one handful of trash and throw it away. One handful of trash, throw it away. And so he did that. No, it didn't happen overnight, but day after day, week after week, year after year, all of a sudden that pile went from here to gone. And it's the same way with managing our money. You know, maybe you have said, oh, I tried that giving thing in church and it didn't work for me. Well, you know, If you do it year after year, you'll see God's blessing and you'll see how he takes care of you in supernatural ways. You'll say, oh man, I saved, you know, a little bit of money and it didn't really put, you know, I didn't have a real nest egg or retirement. Well, again, do it year after year and you'll see that that nest egg will grow and you'll have yourself a a decent amount, you know, at the end. You'll say, you know what, that budgeting, I've tried to write down all my, all my finances and things like that, and it's just too hard. Week after week, year after year, that consistency will help you see the victory that you want to see. Um, and that's really what this series has been about, year after year, you know, praying day after day, week after week, year after year, praise and worship day after day, week after week, year after year, giving day after day, week after week, year after year, budgeting, all these things happen as you do them over time, and you'll see that God will bless you. And so we're going to take a moment. I want to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes. And so maybe you're sitting out there this morning, and you would say, I really don't um, feel that I have given even the first part to God, which is my heart, which is my life. And so I want to ask you that if you've never received Jesus Christ into your heart this morning, I want to ask you to slip up your hands so that we can pray for you. We're not really trying to point anyone out. We just want to make sure that we can pray and know that you know that God lives in your heart. Anyone at all? 
Or if you sit out there this morning, you'd say, you know what, I received Jesus at one point, but I've gone away from the things of God, and I've just kind of been doing my own thing, and I want to recommit my life to him this morning. I want to ask you to lift up your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? On either two questions, rededicate or receive Jesus for the first time. Amen. Well, let's all stand. We'll say this prayer together and believe God to change our lives. So repeat after me. Say, Father God, I thank you for your life. I thank you for the life that you've given me. And this morning, I dedicate myself, my heart, my strength, all of me unto you. And I ask that you come into my life in a real and tangible way. Help me, Lord, to live for you and to see your truths year after year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We want to thank you guys all for coming out this morning. If you prayed that prayer this morning, uh, we'll have our prayer team come up, and they want to pray with you. They want to talk to you about the decision that you've made this morning. I just ask that you slip your way up to the front, and they'll pray with you. Everyone else, turn around, shake hands with about two people. Tell them we'll see you next week.